As we continue our fall sermon series about building a stronger foundation in a more sustainable world, we look today to the book of Acts. Now, this text that we're about to hear uh, occurs immediately after, well, beginning on and then immediately after Pentecost. After tongues of fire descend on the apostles and those gathered nearby, the apostle Peter stands up to preach, and he tells people who Jesus really was and reminds the audience gathered there in Jerusalem that they had effectively killed him when they cried out for his crucifixion and death. We're told that these words cut them to the heart, and they, they want to know what they could do better, how they could live differently. And Peter tells them that it's not too late to repent, and that's exactly what they do. Thousands are baptized that day. And here we begin to catch a glimpse of the lives of the earliest Christ followers. They abandon the zero-sum game of their culture, a system that hoards and exploits much like our own. And they share everything in common, ensuring that there's enough for all. In a sermon, Peter tells them that it's not too late to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Which begs the question, is it too late for us? The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Things were getting tense in the drive through I was parked on the curb in front of Bona Beef out on Roosevelt Road, and I had been for some time, 
waiting for someone to bring my order out. I knew that they were probably short-staffed, like everyone else these days, so I was just trying to be patient, give it time. But as I glanced in my rearview mirror, I could see that the older man who was parked behind me was beginning to get agitated. He was leaning his head out the window, searching frantically for some sign of his dinner, and then he opened his door and put one foot on the ground like he was going to get out and go find someone to complain to. But he stayed in that position for a while, hovering between action and inaction, indecisive. When one of the employees finally emerged with a bag of food, he returned to his car, but he stopped the younger man as he passed by, shouting out of the driver's side window, Ten minutes for a hamburger! He screamed at him. I'm sorry, sir, the embattled burger flipper apologized. We're really short-staffed right now. Well, the other guy wasn't having it. He launched into a frustrated tirade, dressing the poor teenager up and down for his presumed laziness and ineptitude. And eventually, the server made it through this ordeal and over to my window, and he handed me the bag. I'm sorry for the wait, he said wearily. And I'm sorry about that guy behind me, I said loudly enough for him to hear me. <laughs> no one wants to work anymore, he shouted out of his window at me. But I was already driving away, leaving him to fester in his resentment. No one wants to work anymore. This tired complaint has become a sort of mantra of frustrated customers and business owners everywhere especially the ones who don't offer a living wage or a hospitable work environment. Now that people are waking up to the extent to which wages have stagnated for decades while costs have continued to rise, it's true, a lot of them are trying to find other ways to make ends meet. They're tired of being taken advantage of by a system that really doesn't care about them. But instead, the whole thing is spun as a kind of accusation, an assumption of laziness, rather than a demand to be treated like a human being instead of a resource to be exploited. And friends, the exploitation is real. There's a Chick-fil-A franchise in North Carolina that's trying to hire volunteers who will work for free chicken instead of a paycheck. It's become common practice to require a master's degree for jobs that pay $15 an hour. I recently saw a posting for a full-time data entry job that's paying $60 a month. Please do not waste my time and apply, it reads, if this salary does not meet your expectations. Now, one might assume that $60 a month for full-time employment is a typo, but it's mentioned twice in the listing. Now, let's be honest, if it's actually 600, well, that's still pretty terrible. And remember when that tornado flattened a candle factory in an Amazon distribution warehouse in Kentucky a few months back? The employees there were told they'd be fired if they left their posts as the storm was approaching, probably by managers who were told the same thing by their bosses. Between the factory and the warehouse, 14 people were killed. Too often, Human beings in our society is, are treated as expendable resources. One economist and White House advisor, Kevin Hassett, said the quiet part out loud 
back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic on live television. Our human capital stock is ready to go back to work, he announced. Human capital stock. Is it all we really are to each other? My brother plays the guitar, and when we were kids, we used to write songs together and record them on this little boombox. The first song I ever wrote was called Tomb. It was about being trapped in a tomb and uh, beaten up by a bunch of angry skeletons. It's a little unclear as to whether the guy in the tomb had it coming. You know, was he a grave robber? Were they just evil skeletons? This is what they do. Frankly, the song was lacking in subtlety or nuance. You can't be saved. This tomb will be your grave. It's a great line. <laughs> but I digress. There was another one that I wrote uh, that was a little more sophisticated. It was called The Waiting Game, and it was about the cruel irony of a waiter who serves food all day and night but can't afford to feed himself. Serve all day, slave all night, he laments. Playing the waiting game is like living a lie. Much more sophisticated. But as it turns out, the lyrics to that song were prescient. I just read a BBC article about food delivery drivers in Brazil that can't afford to feed themselves. Apparently, 60% of the population down there is struggling with food insecurity. Now, this is a harbinger of things to come globally. According to the UN and the World Food Program, food shortages are going to become a major worldwide problem next year. Between the war in Ukraine, the droughts and the floods wrought by global warming, and the energy crisis that's crippled fertilizer production, crop yields and supply chains are being devastated around the world. Kiara Palink, the senior analyst in the Analysis and Early Warning Unit at the WFP, said that the world is facing a food crisis of unprecedented proportions, the largest in modern history. Millions are at risk of worsening hunger unless action is taken now. There is a very real risk that food and nutrition needs across the globe may soon outstrip the World Food Program's or any organization's ability to respond, she says. So as it turns out, human resources aren't the only resource in short supply these days. Maybe no one wants to work anymore, but people still need to eat. Now, I don't expect that most of us here in the United States are going to suffer from starvation, but staples like fresh produce could become increasingly difficult to come by, and the grocery bill is likely to keep on getting bigger. And that doesn't bode well for low-income earners and folks living below the poverty line. That means that Americans who have the means are going to have to step up our game. It means we're going to have to break out of this hyper-individualistic mindset that we've all grown up with and recognize other human beings as more than a labor resource, or capital, I'm sorry, human capital stock. We have to recognize each other as human beings, and we have to share our resources accordingly. 
Many years ago, I led an activity with the youth group here at church. I told all the kids to skip dinner that night because uh, we were going to get together and order pizza here at church. So all these hungry teenagers show up, probably 15 or 20 of them, only to find that I've only ordered a single pizza. And to illustrate the inequality of our society, I gave 90% of it to one student, leaving the other 15 or so of them to share a single slice. Oh, man, they were mad. I'm lucky they didn't eat me. I would have been better off with those skeletons. And yet, this is precisely the kind of world we live in. And in the face of food, water, and energy shortages, the poor are only going to get squeezed even further. Today, you have to wait 10 minutes for a hamburger. Tomorrow, you might not be able to afford a hamburger at all. And that is why it is so important that those of us with the means find a way to share. Now, if the toilet paper craze of 2020 is any indication, I'm not especially optimistic about our nation's ability to do that in a widespread fashion. In the early days of the pandemic, people were practically fighting each other in the aisles, ready to wage war for a roll of angel soft. Folks were scalping toilet paper on eBay for outrageous prices. I'm not proud of it, but succumbing to the paranoia, I personally paid $50 for 12 rolls of toilet paper on eBay. But you know, we can't control other people's behavior. We can only do what we can do. And we do. This church has a great history of rising to the occasion and meeting these kinds of needs. We just sent an entire crate of food over to the Glen Ellen Food Pantry. And a group of folks from the church just went to Schaumburg this past week to pack lunches for Feed My Starving Children. And we do so many other things too. But friends, I feel like we could be doing even more. And I feel like we're going to have to be able to do even more in the days to come. The book of Acts describes the earliest Christian communities before anything like the institutional church existed. Folks met in people's homes, and they came from all walks of life. The rich and the poor gathered at the table together, having little in common save for their newfound faith and their shared humanity. But they shared everything they had. All who believed were together and held all things in common, the text tells us. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, maybe it wasn't really as rosy as all that, but it was an ideal that they strove for. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all move into a commune or that we start a cult or something, even though I do suppose I kind of look like a cult leader from the 1970s. I got that going for me. But, but these early Christ followers, I think they were on to something. They knew how to share. They shared what they had without reservation. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, the scripture tells us, because there was enough for everyone. But my concern is that if we keep on living like we always have, year after year after year, hoarding, wasting, that there won't be enough for everyone. So we need to think creatively 
about how to solve that problem. Because I don't think anyone's going to solve it for us. Last Saturday, I attended the fundraising event that Nancy spoke about, the Harvest Against Hunger. Uh, it was held at the College DuPage, whom the Garden Works Project also partners with. And I learned a great deal about the food ecosystem over there. It's a closed system that feeds people, teaches valuable skills, and wastes nothing. Students of ecology and the culinary arts tend these on-site gardens, both raised beds as well as vertical hydroponic gardens that are housed indoors. Produce goes to the on-site food pantry, which is run by students, where it goes uh, to supplement low-income students. Whatever is left is returned to the culinary school, who uses those resources to teach cooking skills. It's a beautiful, closed, zero-waste ecosystem, an illustration of a local, sustainable food source. Now, for my part, I was especially enamored with the vertical hydroponic gardens. With nothing more than water, light, and nutrient-rich soil, these modular towers uh, can produce fresh produce in nearly any environment. They can grow strawberries, lettuce, herbs, spinach, kale, broccoli, and anything else that can be grown above ground. They're really not very large. They take up almost no footprint at all, uh, and they can be stacked as high as the ceiling allows. Just imagine if we were to acquire some of these at church to supplement our donations to the local food pantry. And it's not just typical produce. You can also grow nutrient-rich microgreens, which could be mixed with anything from canned soup to a box of instant mac and cheese, enhancing its nutritional value. What if we could do more than donate food from the store? What if we could produce our own right here, perhaps by partnering with GardenWorks to get some raised beds for a community garden built, or to buy some of these vertical hydroponic gardens, which are really quite affordable. With a little ingenuity and investment, perhaps we could do more to feed our community than we already do, as hunger lurks on the horizon. The alternative is not pretty. It's been said that civilization is only three meals away from chaos. Either we treat one another as human beings or as human capital stock. Either we feed each other or we feed on each other. We could ask ourselves what Jesus would do, but I think the answer to that question is pretty clear. Amen. And now, friends, before we sound the alarm, this is fair warning. Uh, if you'd like to either, thank you, either uh, retrieve your children from the nursery or church school, uh, or if you yourself uh, would like to, you know, uh, <laughs> spare yourselves the noise of the fire alarm, you can meet us out on the front lawn for coffee and donuts. You will miss a fantastic song if you leave now, but the decision is yours. <laughs> 